0: This episode of Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks is sponsored by The Good Village, an online HPE resource for primary students developed by Nestle in partnership with the Australian Institute of Sport. Explore four areas with 48 differentiated activities to build your students' skills in health and fitness, nutrition, relationships and culture, and sustainability before attempting the main challenge of building your very own athlete village. Access teacher notes to support the implementation of the resource in your classroom, or select activities for individual students based on their interests and needs. It's totally non-prescriptive to fit in with your scope and sequence. Coming soon in 2022 is the brand new Yarning Circle area to give students authentic opportunities to explore First Nations histories and cultures. So to get the best out of the HPE curriculum this year, visit n4hk.com.au or Google the Good Village to get started with the latest in project-based HPE. Hello everyone, welcome back to term two. I hope you all had a lovely rest over the Easter break. I also took a bit of a break. You may have noticed there wasn't a new episode out a couple of weeks ago, but I am back. And this is episode 15. Now, today I've got the most friendliest principal I've ever met. This is Greg Clements from Clayton South Primary School. He's very big on supporting his teachers. He's a teaching principal and even turns a blind eye to movies in the classroom occasionally. I really hope you enjoyed this one. Give us a follow. Uh, Keep me on your pod playlist and let me know what you think over on the Instagram at cold Coffee no glue sticks pod. And don't forget to share this with all your teacher friends. So I hope you enjoyed this one. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Um, So I guess my my journey to being a principal is a bit unorthodox. I started at a school uh, in 2006 as a classroom teacher, and I was there for 11 years. Um, And it was a school of 900 kids, so quite a big school in the southeast suburbs. Um, And then... um, I sort of thought it was time to move on, so I I moved to a much smaller school that had maybe 180 students at the time.
0: Oh, big change.
1: Yeah, and and I got put into prep, which I'd never taught before, so it was a a big change for me. (laughs) Um, And then I think possibly coming from a big school and the experiences I've had, I took on a few leadership-type roles um, without any title. Um, and sort of helped to uh, mould the way that school was heading and then within nine months of being there I applied for a principal position and, and got the first one I applied for so wow so I went straight from classroom teacher to principal so it was a big um, big jump
0: yeah I
1: probably realistically wasn't ready for but being a bit immature I thought I could do this <laughs> and um, yeah so I haven't looked back since then
0: amazing so how long have you been in leadership now
1: Uh, This is my, this will be my fifth year as a principal.
0: Amazing. And are you still loving it or do you kind of miss the classroom a bit?
1: I don't have to miss the classroom because I still jump in the classroom quite often. So my first school only had 30 students when I got there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, So I was a teaching principal and I taught the prep to three class. Yeah. So I didn't really lose touch with the classroom at all. Um, And I was there for two years and then I moved back to Clayton South and that's this school's got 120 students so I don't have a teaching role but I if we if we have a teacher away I'm usually the first one to jump in before we get a CIT.
0: Wow that's really lovely and it must be amazing for your um, teaching staff to know that they can excuse me rely on you for that support as well.
1: Yeah I sort of walk the walk talk the talk If if yeah. I'm asking them to do something then I've got to show that I can do it too.
0: Absolutely. And and it's good
1: for me. I love getting to know the kids and and keeping up to date with everything that's going on.
0: Yeah, of course. So how much of your week is spent in the classroom still?
1: Um, I I take um, half an hour spelling mastery every day.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So we break the kids into groups for that. And then I guess maybe one day a week if someone's away, um, myself or the leading teacher will jump into the classroom. Mm -hmm. So, it's yeah, it could be one full day a fortnight. Yeah, it was a lot more before. But um, yeah, in a bigger school, and I've got no assistant principal. So sometimes it's a bit hard for me to jump into every everyone.
0: Of course. Now, do you think that's something that all school principals should kind of schedule into their week?
1: Not as often. I know a bigger school would be hard. But Mm -hmm. I think in a bigger school, I think even once a term just to jump into a classroom or, or get into each year level in the semester. So you might teach prep and then another junior class and then a three four or five six during the semester just to have the kids see you in the classroom and I I think that's yeah it definitely helps and then um when you're bringing in new programs or or initiatives you're in there modeling at first which is what I've sort of done
0: yeah that's amazing Uh, how do you think that's kind of helped your relationships with your staff
1: I think it's helped a lot um so when we do bring in something new, so when I first got to the school, I had the science of reading background already. So that was um, the first change that I made. And I didn't just say, we're doing this, do it. I got into the classrooms and I modelled um, phonemic awareness for the staff. Yeah. Then I modelled introducing new phonemes to the staff. I modelled building fluency. So I think um, seeing me in the classroom has has changed their view on me as not just someone that sits at their desk and tells them what to do.
0: <laughs> absolutely well i hope your staff meetings are super fun then because i'm sure you know what it's like <laughs>
1: oh look they've all been over zoom so it's a bit a bit of hard but of
0: course oh yeah. of course so how are you making the zoom meetings fun can you give uh all well, of our principals that are listening any tips
1: i think they made them fun more than i did so mm-hmm. i turned up to one zoom call late and they'd all made my face as a handheld mask <laughs> so i was presenting to 15 of myself on the screen. (laughs) Um, They organized crazy hair and hat days behind my back. Nice. Um, Some of them got their kids to sit in on the Zoom when I arrived on the screen. (laughs) So it probably wasn't me. It was more them that was doing that. But we did other things like cahoots and little quizzes and stuff as well along the way.
0: That's really lovely. Um, I might circle back to your relationship with your staff a little bit later on in the episode, if that's okay, because I really love when principals get real about talking about the job and talking about those important relationships, because I think we all know that saying that it does take a village to raise a child and none more important than the village within the school environment, right? Yeah. 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 So um, until then, I guess we'll go on to my next question, which is what has been your gold star of the week? Now, I know you're on holidays at the moment, so perhaps we can think back to term four or an earlier time in your career, but I guess I really want a moment that's made you smile. Um,
1: to be honest, I think it's just we've got a high percentage of ASD students at our school, and my son – has high functioning autism as well. So mm-hmm. I think I just, their quirks and their taking everything literal and their observations and their habits and obsessions, that makes me smile. Yeah. Um, it's, I know it frustrates some teachers, but I find those kids the most fun to work with. Yeah. When I was a classroom teacher, it took me a term to get to know the quirks of each of these students that I had in my classroom. But once I did, we had the most fun year and I knew that my classroom was their safe space, that nothing triggered them anymore and that's Mm -hmm. how I sort of want the school to look for these kids that we have. So we do have a higher, but being a small school, we've got a higher percentage of kids on the spectrum. Yeah. And um, I don't know, just as a parent of a student on the spectrum myself, I just, I really want them to have the best time at school And, and so that's what makes me smile, just... Um, if they're having a bad day, they come into my office and I just have a chat with them and I know all their obsessions, if it's trains or cats or whatever it is, Lego. Yeah. Um, we're currently, I guess in the last week, my gold star moment was, um, taking my own son to Legoland in Chadston
0: and coming
1: back and sharing that I want to create this Lego wonderland in our sensory room so that when the kids are having a bad day, the aid can take them in there and there's cars to race and tracks and a Lego city built in there, just somewhere for them to go.
0: Oh, that sounds wonderful.
1: Um, That's, yeah, that's sort of my um, sort of, I don't know, passion away from the educational side is just making sure the kids are, are coping so there was one boy in grade four that I had that was just all my stories that I share about this boy. He just <laughs> made me laugh so much. Just all the different things. From we had a class party and him telling all the kids he only likes delicious food like lettuce. Um, he, he'd sworn during the day, and I had to walk him back to his house because he lived across the road. Yeah. Um, and I was explaining to his mom that look, he's he's had a few, um, said a few swear words today in class, and mom's looked at me dead in the eye and said, he couldn't, it couldn't have been him. He never swears. And he's looked at fun without skipping a beat and said, that's because you never effing listen to me. <gasps> just, just the literal answers <laughs> they give just um, make my day. But he was He was a really funny one. <laughs> Every day had one of those moments.
0: Oh, what a sweetheart. Have you kept in touch with the family?
1: I haven't, no. I haven't, unfortunately. Oh, but um, okay. yeah, he'd be in his 20s now. This is going back a long time
0: wow isn't that lovely there's always a couple of students that kind of stay in your heart isn't there
1: yeah yeah
0: oh gorgeous oh I really love that now working with so many children with um ASD and um, i have got a lot
1: of dyslexia as well we've got a lot of um yeah different different things
0: yeah okay so working with such a diverse student body How do you kind of set up the adult support with your staff? What what kind of setup have you got there?
1: So we have an aide in every classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, they're all tagged to a particular student, but we've we've got funded kids in all of our classrooms. So we're we're lucky in that respect that we do have a teacher's aide in every room supporting our students. Yeah, Um, we've got also extra. So we were given um, tier two um, funding. Yeah. in our area, which which was to go towards, um, we've, we've spent it on a speech pathologist um, wow. and an occupational therapist yeah. and an extra aid as well. So to sort of float and if someone's away or a classroom needs an extra hand, pair of hands, we've got that yeah. sort of support for them as well. And this year we're getting a counsellor into the school just with what's happened with COVID. Yeah. Um, we think that's our next thing that we're going to need.
0: Yeah, fantastic. A um, bit of a controversial question. As a principal, do you think there's enough funding?
1: Um, it's getting better. Yeah. So the Tudor Learning Initiative is fantastic. That's mm-hmm. money that we really couldn't do without and to catch these kids back up.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, the Tier 2 funding that we were given as well was quite a lot of money for a small school. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have any complaints myself. I haven't been in the system long enough to complain enough, so. yeah, okay. but I I, I I don't have any complaints. I, okay. I think it's been enough money for us. I don't, I can't speak for every principal in larger schools though.
0: Yeah. Okay. And being a, or becoming a parent of a child on the spectrum, how, or has that changed your approach to teaching at all?
1: Yeah, definitely. So it's definitely made me a lot more patient with the kids. Yeah. Um, I see some teachers get frustrated when, um, a student's triggered and they don't realize that they've been triggered by something out of their control. Yeah. It could be just a a ticking noise in the background or something that happened yesterday at recess that the student can't let go of.
0: Yeah. And
1: I can see it frustrating the staff and I, I tend to jump in and just take the student for a walk or take them to my office and have a chat just to diffuse everything. But I think for me, I have that patience built in because of Levi, my son, Mm. um, and don't get me wrong, he's, he's the most challenging kid at times, but the most amazing kid as well. And it's, it's just, um, I, I think it's changed the way I am with, with students on the spectrum for sure. And it's obviously the first thing I talked about with what makes me smile is ASD students. It's definitely something that's, that's affected the way I am.
0: Yeah, Um, I can hear it. I can hear the passion in your voice. I think Levi's very lucky. (laughs) Um, So being surrounded by so many amazing staff that's helping you put all of these amazing things into place for your kids, is there a person or a group of people that's really been able to support you in your career or implementing certain initiatives or just kind of an, an everyday Teacher bestie that you want to give a shout out to?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I was having a think about it, and I think this one. Um, her name was Barb Nowjocks. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught with her at my first school. Um, she was teaching next door to me. We had twenty five kids each teaching grade four, and she could see my passion for numeracy. And um, she and I was a graduate, so she made the offer to team teach with me. So we'd bring all fifty kids into the one classroom. Wow, and. She'd give me time to plan all of the numeracy the way I wanted it to work for that group of kids, all 50 of them, and then she would manage the classroom behaviour and she was very tough. Yeah, She'd manage that side for me so I didn't have to pause to um, discipline any students or anything. It was all she sort of just had to look at them and they wouldn't do anything wrong. So for <laughs> me, I could get on with the task of teaching and really um, looking at the data and analysing it and seeing where to next for our kids. And our kids made such good growth. And um, just having her give me that time to differentiate and, and develop my passion for maths was something that was really supportive that I'll never forget. Um, unfortunately, Barb passed away whilst we were teaching together. She, she had cancer. Um, and that was something that was really hard to recover from for me as well. Yeah. But I, I credit, you know, my passion for teaching maths um, to her and how she supported me and, and saw that I was a struggling graduate and said, come in here and we'll, we'll teach it together. And so she did all the literacy and I um, watched the kids and then she I, she let me do all the maths and, and I really yeah, enjoyed that. That was probably my favourite um, time for teaching.
0: Wow, what an experience. Well, big up Barb. She sounds like an absolutely incredible teacher.
1: Yep, she was amazing
0: really lovely okay the next one is a little bit of an odd question uh, but I feel like you're going to have some good answers to this so, oh, so. yeah so the question is what feels illegal but isn't in schools or in teaching
1: oh I'll try and <laughs> keep it to something I can say on, on here
0: oh please um, don't hold back on here
1: Go I think oh, I was thinking about it and Something that it, it feels illegal while you're doing it is watching a movie so you can do your assessments. Oh. <laughs> and I think that was one where I always had the doors shut and, and keep the noise down and I'd yeah. pull one student across and do my assessments on them for reports or whatever it was and we got to watch a movie that day. And, and I sometimes still walk down my corridors towards the end of the year and I'll, I'll hear a movie going and I'll pretend I didn't hear that and keep <laughs> walking along because I know that feeling if your principal's coming. Yeah then I know you do need that time to, to get all your assessments done and it is really hard to do. And that's And Yeah, that was probably the one I could think of that feels illegal mm. apart from, you know, sneaking out of a staff meeting or, <laughs> or pretending you didn't know there was one on and not turning up. But, yeah, <laughs> watching a movie, I think, that's probably the, the one that really – it Feel, feels illegal.
0: Yeah. I'm really glad you said that. You are definitely the best type of principal to pretend to ignore a movie on <laughs> the end of the hall. <laughs> so does this mean we can have kind of blanket acceptance for all the teachers struggling with assessments just to whack a movie on when they when they're struggling?
1: I'd rather they didn't. I'd rather them ask me first because <laughs> I, I have jumped into classrooms and done it. I, I do most of the assessment in my school, being a small school. Yeah. Um we use Diabels or dibbles I don't know which one it's called but um, we use that for our reading assessment and I do that for every student in the school. We use the past assessment for phonemic awareness I do that for every student in the school. Yeah. I try to give them that that leg up but if they do need help first step ask me second step movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Brilliant. I love it. That's one that we haven't had before so I really like that. Good. Uh, good. <laughs> All right, so next one, this might be slightly different and it's up to you whether you want to answer it as a principal or as a teacher, a classroom teacher, but mm-hmm. is there something you wish you had more or less of when you're teaching or when you're running the school?
1: Uh, look, obvious one to running a school is money,
0: mm. not
1: personally, but um, <laughs> for the school. So just to buy those resources that the teachers want um, I remember being a classroom teacher and we had a $200 budget and, you know, you're not going to spend $200 in the classroom. You're going to spend yeah. a lot more than that. So yeah. our teachers get $1,000 each in the classroom. Wow. Um, and just being able to buy those resources for the students, um, it's it's hard to prioritize sometimes. And I know that our CRT budget before I got there was eight times what I spent last year. Wow. So having that money available to, to do these things and buy decodable books and and yeah. if I say we're going to, this is the way we're teaching and resource everybody in that.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: I guess more topical at the moment is more CRTs. I don't know if there was a teacher shortage towards the end of the year or that the tutor learning initiative might have taken up a lot of the tut- uh, the CRTs. Sure. But it was so hard to get a CRT um, last year. Um, I think we all limped the finish line last year. And, um yeah. yeah, I think CRTs would be <laughs> my other more of.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: less less of um, would be less admin, mm-hmm. um, less meetings for the sake of meeting just because it says we have to have a meeting if there's nothing yeah. down there um, and then less students in each classroom. But, again, that comes down to having more money. So,
0: well,
1: again, we're lucky in a small school where we probably average about 18 students per classroom, which is right. a really good number. Yeah, lovely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Just going back to resources there, do, is mm-hmm. there um, a couple or a list of resources that you find your teachers always asking for? The Something? junior
1: school, yep, decodable yeah, decodable books. Right. So with the way we're teaching now, um, we've moved away from the predictable texts to take home. So yeah. they're wanting more um, decodable books to send home as take home readers. Um, we've tried to supplement that with some iPad apps that we've purchased for the whole school. So we've got um, Reading Doctor, which is an iPad app that the whole, uh, the whole junior school will have yep. so they can do their reading practice at home. Um, there's quite a few programs rather than physical books, but as you know, we want the kids to take physical books home. So that's, mm-hmm. that's one that's constantly being asked for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the main one that comes to mind.
0: Yeah, great.
1: Yeah. Very
0: interesting. I didn't realize decodable books were so hard to find. It's just
1: hard to, to resource for. So yeah. they're probably eight dollars each, and, and getting enough for all the junior school, and they lose them. They'll take them home and forget to bring them back. It's just restocking. Yeah. So it's just, that's just one that costs a lot of money. That they're not so hard to find. There's a lot of a lot of companies out there now. Yeah, um, Decodable Readers Australia, Little Learners Love Literacy. But uh, and we we can cross over different ones as long as they're close enough to our scope and sequence
0: yeah of course interesting okay cool all right the next one is probably one of my favorite questions that I ask on here and it is what's been your proudest moment in your career so far
1: um it's definitely moving to the country to take on the first principal role um and and starting there with a small school with 30 kids um going to um, the first school council meeting and having most of the school council tears in their eyes telling me the school's going to close down because they were told that when we get to 18 students, the school closes. Um, they're all freaking out a little bit. Um, we we didn't only not get closed down, but we're, they're now at 75 students in that capacity. Wow! Um, so we went from, um, I it was 30 students in the first year and then, Fifty-four, the second year and now they're at 75. So just um, built the reputation of the school um, and I guess I was not the favourite of all the other principals because we we took a lot of their kids, not through yeah. picketing out the front and saying come <laughs> to us but just through um, reputation and, and them just wanting to make that move.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, again, being a really small school, again, most of those students were on the spectrum and there was a big problem, a big um Dyslexic community there, yeah, um, and so I guess the first thing I did was get a speech pathologist, and that did change completely my mindset on teaching reading. And so that's my proudest thing is making that move and getting a speech pathologist. Yeah, um, and i the, the biggest one for me was of all the data we collected in that two years, they do a a, a student survey called ATOS. It's an attitude to school um, survey for the students. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the questions was something along the lines of um, our students accept all differences amongst our students. And we had a 100% positive response to that. Wow. So they all accepted that there were kids with differences at the school, but it was accepted at our school that that was just the norm. And, and all those kids, I don't think they would have coped in a larger school and they just thrived in a small school.
0: Oh, how wonderful. So
1: that's that's probably my proudest moment was not only the, the whole we're going to close scenario to two years later being at capacity, but just having all the kids there being so happy and so different.
0: Oh, wonderful. Brings a tear <laughs> to your eye,
1: doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the things we teach for.
0: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Um, okay now you did mention that you started off uh, loving teaching numeracy because of the wonderful Barb but you're mm-hmm. also a bit of a phonics head as well. Mm-hmm. Is there a theme or a topic that you most enjoy teaching?
1: Uh, it's times tables actually.
0: Times tables you're definitely the only person in the world to say that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's I don't know that was what I was known for as a grade four teacher. I taught grade four five years straight and I Parents begging to me be in my class because the kids would come out with the highest math skills, and I always just likened it to times tables, links to everything in the math curriculum, mm-hmm. fractions to decimals to just everything. It just aligns. Yeah, and um, we we did so with the resource or an activity linked to that. We did a daily maths ladder, which I'm not sure where I saw it. I think I saw it when I was a student teacher, but yeah, the kids were just put in a ladder. And they just versed the person above them. Um, it wasn't competitive. We didn't know kids got upset if they didn't win. It was really emphasised that if you knew the answer, that's all I was looking for. I didn't care who was the fastest in the class as long as you knew your times tables. And I said, if you know your times tables, you'll do really well in maths this year. And They all went home and I'm sure they bugged their parents because the parents would complain to me how many times tables they had to do every dinner. <laughs> but every student got a certificate for being on the top of the maths ladder every year. Um, We made several maths letters, sometimes up to five, just so that everyone got that chance to have success.
0: Wow. Um,
1: And then when I taught grade two, someone said, well, you can't do it now, you're in grade two. I said, all right, I'm going to do it. So we did it in grade two (laughs) and I reckon 70% of the kids knew every times table from one to 12 in an instant. And we Mm -hmm. ended up um, on a Friday, whoever finished on top got to go and get a grade six student and challenge them in the class. (laughs) And our kids never lost. So wow. right down to grade two, um, and I know it's rote learning and I know that's frowned upon, but that was the way I got my students to learn their times tables. And we we did a lot of strategy talk as well, heaps of strategy talk, but yeah. that whole every day doing times tables only took five minutes of your day, could do it during their snack, and they they would yell at me if we didn't do the maths letter for one day, <laughs> got in so much trouble right. if I forgot. Um, so that was my favorite thing to do. And I was well known for that in my first school. And that was just, it was an easy one to think of my favorite topic, but nowadays probably would be more closely linked to phonics.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do you go, um, do you study particular texts for phonics or do you literally just focus on the kind of systematic learning?
1: Just the systematic learning. I I do, I do a lot of reading. Um, and I was just talking to you before about, I'm doing a five day, um, MSL Orton Gillingham course at the moment in the yeah. holidays. So, um, yeah, definitely constantly trying to upskill myself, and then in turn my staff. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, mm-hmm. that's just I just do a lot of reading, just try and Yeah. Keep learning.
0: Lovely, absolutely. I had a great quote the other day. Uh, it was the best thing about being a teacher is also being able to be a fantastic learner every day.
1: Yeah. And it's yeah. so
0: true. That's at-
1: one of our values: is that the principal is lead learner with the staff.
0: Yes. Definitely. Oh, I love that. That's well,
1: from Nick Sharrett's book.
0: Oh, I love Nick Sharrett. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. Well, being a lead learner, are you also leading the way in celebrating your mistakes? <laughs> Can you share with us a classroom cock-up?
1: Um, the one that came to mind um, was probably, I don't know, at the time was the most embarrassing for me, <laughs> um, was there were two girls in my class in grade two that fought every day went home every day crying. Both their mums would come to the school every day and then ask me what had happened, what did I not do about it, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it was recess. I'd forgotten that these kids were getting, these two girls were getting picked up early. They'd had a fight. And I said to them, don't you go home and tell your mum I made you cry now. And I turned (laughs) around and both mums are standing right behind me.
0: Oh, no.
1: Absolute perfect timing. I didn't make them cry, but I just knew that's what they were going home, telling them every day because I seemed to be the one in trouble when they were the ones fighting. <laughs> oh, but, um, yeah, that was probably the worst one, just turning around and seeing both of them standing there. But um, I had good relationships with all the families and and it wasn't an issue, but it that did make me go, oops.
0: <laughs> oh, dear. That was a good one. I like that. I like that. What about um, if your staff have any issues now? Like, what's what's the process there, and how do you support them?
1: Um, I guess it depends what it is. More specifically, Um, Mm. I I have my staff have my full support first and foremost. Yeah. Um, If there's a complaint from a parent, Mm. I'm going to listen, and I'll always. Listen and take notes, but it's always investigate. I'm not going to just take the parents' side straight away. Sure. Um, and I do, yeah. I will always take my staff side first, um, unless I do investigate and find out they have stuffed up, like like me yelling at two kids, or their mums are right behind me. Yeah. If, if if there's a genuine mistake, then then obviously supports provided. Um, but yeah, I do I do tend to err on the side of taking my staff's word. Um, mm-hmm. But, and I, but being a parent myself and having made complaints myself, seeing as my son does get himself into mischief too, sure. I do understand that side of it um, also. But, yeah, I, I do take my staff side first.
0: Yeah, lovely. It sounds like you guys have got a really great relationship um, as a faculty, so that's really yeah. lovely to hear. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, last question and one that we ask everyone on the podcast if you woke up tomorrow and there's a phone call they say Greg, oh my god, everything's gone wrong. We've <laughs> lost the minister of education. She's disappeared and you're in. What <laughs> is the first thing that you change for education when you get into that office?
1: Um I think I would outsource for the principals, or even before that, I've because I've only been at small schools, mm. I've never had an assistant principal. Okay. I think if I was given unlimited money, I would probably put an AP in every school Yeah. regardless of size and then I could give them all my dirty jobs that I don't want to do. <laughs> um, but apart from that, just outsourcing to an external agency, the jobs like OHS, um, admin, things that take up a lot of time,
0: yeah. buildings
1: and grounds, things like that, just to an external agency so that they can look after that. And obviously I'm overseeing everything, but those sort of those sort of jobs I'd outsource. So in a similar way to how we have an IT person, maybe four hours. We have one for four hours in our school. Some schools might have a bit more than that, yeah. but that's sort of an outsourced role. I'd, I'd do something like that um, just so that I can focus on the teaching and learning because at the end of the day, that's the most important part for me. Mm. is making sure our kids are making that 12 months growth each and and doing OHS and as important as they are and buildings and grounds and facilities, it would be really amazing if um, that could be looked after. For instance, like four hours a week like we get with IT, someone comes out and and assists with that. That was my first introduction to being a principal. Going from the classroom, we had a financial audit in my first term Mm. and then an OHS audit in my second term and they were things i never experienced before yes. and we got through them but it's a big learning curve definitely um, and even for an assistant principal not necessarily being given those roles stepping up they're, they're really challenging to learn quite quickly
0: definitely are there support measures in place for new principals to go uh, through there, there's like
1: a that? lot of support I've never f- felt unsupported um, okay. there's a principals hotline which is really quick to get through to Yep. Um in my network, um, we've got a really strong network of principals that are really friendly and offer assistance straight away. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's the same in, in most networks. Um and there's principal courses that you can do through Basto yeah. um, that that will help as well. Yeah. So never I've never felt unsupported. I just that look, you asked me the question, that's <laughs> the one I would change if I was there for a day. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, it's not a lack of support. It's just that's, that would be something that would be amazing to free up that four hours a week that's spent on admin and facilities and OHS and things like that.
0: Oh, definitely. And I'm sure you're not the only one. Well, I know you're not the only one to suggest um, a bit more support with admin or yeah. less admin. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Well, Greg, you've been an absolute delight to have on the podcast. Thank you so, so much.
1: No worries. I was heaps of fun
0: oh good i'm glad you had heaps of fun i had lots of fun talking to you as well another good episode there and a great chat with the very lovely greg clements thanks for that greg do stay tuned because in a couple of episodes i am going to be digging more into teaching children with autism with another fantastic educator do subscribe to the podcast to keep me on your playlist and come and join us over on Instagram at coldcoffeenoglue6 to share with your teacher friends and tell them all about the things we chat about on here. Don't forget to go and check out the good Village at n4hk.com.au for a really great HPE program that covers the entire curriculum developed by Nestle and the Australian Institute of Sport. Come back and join me in a couple of weeks. I'm here again with another fantastic teacher for you all. Until then, take care and I'll see you then.